morning, everyone. pray that the service is a blessing to you. Sometimes if people want to hear my voice or not, but today I have three microphones, so I'm feeling encouraged. Amen. Let's start over today. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, glad you're here. Amen. Clap your hands to the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. I do want to remind you of a couple of things before we move forward in the service today. Uh, Don't forget the back-to-school prayer walk. Uh, Meet here at the church at 6 p.m. I'll have some instructions for you, some resources for you, and then we'll split up into groups and cover as many campuses as we can this evening. Um, You might want to bring some water with you, too, and stay hydrated. Amen. Don't forget your Mission Louisiana pledge. That is the pledge that we made some weeks ago to support the project of expanding the campgrounds in Tioga. There is a tab that has been set up on Easy Tithe for that pledge. I'm very excited about next weekend. The next weekend is our pastoral anniversary weekend. Amen. Amen. Excited about that. Amen. And... Um, Of course, uh, Saturday evening at 6 o'clock at Forest Grove Plantation is the banquet. And then Sunday morning, next Sunday, Brother Greg Albritton will be ministering in the service as part of that anniversary weekend. Make plans to be here. Mark your calendar. We want to see everybody here. We want to just celebrate 30 years with the Murphys. Let them know how much they have meant to us through those years. We're looking forward to that. It's going to be a really, really great time. If you'll stand with me this morning, um, we had been, we have announced that today we will be praying over prayer cloths for our kids, our students to take back to school. Um, typically they put them in their backpacks, um, maybe inside the cover of a book, but they keep them with them uh, as they go back to school, back on their campuses. And uh, it's always such a blessing. I, I always look forward to this time of prayer, this time of blessing over our students. So what we're going to do, I have I have the prayer clause here. We're going to pray over them. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And um, then I'll have the students come forward and, uh, and receive those. There's plenty. Um, if you need to take an extra one for somebody that couldn't be here today, that's fine. We have plenty. Uh, and I know some of our students were asking about You know, they're serving either in the media team or on the platform. There'll be plenty for you to have after service as well. So don't worry about that. But today, we're going to pray specifically over these prayer clause. We're going to pray for some specific areas, and these will be coming up on the screen as we move through our prayer. We're going to pray for our students' peace, for their protection, for their purity, for their passion, and for their perspective. And so these are the things we want to pray for today. I'll lead you through those. But we're going to spend the next couple of three to five minutes in prayer together. And I want you to pray over our students um, as we do that and pray this prayer with me. Are you ready? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be in your presence. And we are especially thankful for the privilege of prayer. I am so grateful, Lord, that you hear and answer every prayer. 
Lord, we're not praying as those that beat the air. We're not praying as those of vain repetition, God, but we are calling on the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We're calling upon the name that is all power in heaven and earth given unto that name. And Lord, you said, suffer the children, let them come unto me, and let them not be uh, cursed or denied. And so today, Lord, we're praying for those that are some of the most precious to you, and that is our kids and our students, Lord. And we start a brand new school year this year, this week, Lord. We start a brand new school year, the 23-2024 school year. And Lord, we cannot begin without you. We cannot start without the name of Jesus called over our students. We cannot start, Lord, without the presence of God being invoked in our homes and in our lives. And so today we pray over these prayer claws, God, and that every student that takes one will be going with your hand on their life. I pray for their peace today, God, that that your presence would be with them, Lord, as they face adverse circumstances, Lord, as they may even face adverse doctrine and adverse teaching, that the peace of God would be with them the confidence of your presence would go before them and that you would bring them great peace as they love thy law. I pray for their protection, God. We know, Lord, that schools are not what they used to be, Lord, and there's violence, there's bullying, Lord. There's all sorts of things, Lord, coming against them physically and spiritually. And so I pray for their protection today, God. I pray a hedge around every student. I pray a a covering over every school. I pray, Lord, your hand and your angels would go with them. Order their way. Order their steps, Lord, and fight for them, Lord. Protect them. Lord, I pray today for their purity, Lord, their minds, Lord, their spirits, God. Lord, with all the junk in our culture, all the things that face them, Lord, on a day-to-day basis through media and through their friends, God, and through just the influence of those that they go to school with, that you would give them a purity of mind. Lord, your word brings great purity. Your spirit is pure. And I pray you would invoke purity in them today. And I pray for passion, God, that you would give them a burden for their campus. I pray you would give them the the ability, Lord, to be a witness, God, that you would give them the authority, Lord, to share the gospel, that they would be gripped, Lord, with a passion to see their friends come to Christ and to see their friends saved, Lord, and come to church in Jesus' name. And then finally, Lord, I pray for their perspective, God, that their minds would be equipped to learn. God, those that have learning disorders, I pray for healing of learning disorders right now in Jesus' name. God, I curse dyslexia. I curse learning disorders, God. I pray you would open their understanding and wisdom above and beyond their peers to take in information and be successful in their education to the glory of God. Let it be done in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And then, church, I want to pray over the administration and the teachers. We have teachers right here in Grace Church that need our prayer. Would you help me pray for all the teachers and all the admin today? God, right now, we pray for our teachers. We pray for the administration, Lord. We pray for the school board. Lord, I call Central High School. I call Central Intermediate. I call Central Elementary. I call Central Middle. I call Bellingrath, Tanglewood, Live Oak High, Live Oak Middle, University View Academy. God, I pray pray over all these campuses and all these teachers, all these admin, God, in Jesus' name. We need godly leaders. We need godly influence, God. Guide their decisions. Guide their understanding, God. Let them, Lord, be favorable to our students, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. One more prayer this morning. One more prayer this morning, and we're going to pass out the clause. We have at least four students, at least four students, Garrett, uh, Laney, Braylon, 
and Ella. And if I've missed one, pardon me, but we have at least four students that are wanting to start P7 Bible clubs this year in their school. P7, let me tell you what it is. It stands for Project 7. And the idea is this, the greatest project you can engage in during your education is that of, of telling people about Jesus. And the seven comes from the, it's the, um, it's, the, uh, it's the education you get from sixth grade to twelfth grade. That encompasses seven years. And it's also the number of completion in the Bible. So the idea is you have seven years to complete this project on your school campus of winning people to Jesus Christ. So it's called a P7 Bible Club. And they go in just like any other club in the school. And they, they open up the Word of God to, to other teenagers. And uh, throughout our movement, there have been many young people, one to the Lord, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name as a result of P7 Bible Club. Several years ago, we had a student that had over 100 at Live Oak High School in a P7 Bible Club, and that was somebody right here at Grace Church. They're going to be successful this year. I believe that. They're going to do awesome things. They're going to do great things. Amen. Amen. The church is with you, students. The church is with you. So right now, before we change the order of the service, let's pray specifically for P7 Bible Club and these students that I've called their name, as well as any others that may have a burden for it as the school, you know, as we go through the school year. Let's pray for that right now. God, in Jesus' name, you have given these students a passion for uh, sharing the gospel on their campus, and you've given them a vehicle through which to do it, an instrument through which to do it. God, I pray for favor, favor with the principals, favor with the administration. God, that they would be able to establish these clubs. God, that you would go before them to do that. And then once they're established, God, I pray, God, that you would bring hungry hearts to these clubs, hearts, Lord, that are, are needing an answer, hearts that are needing something real, hearts that are in uh, in pursuit of the truth and receptive to the truth and open to the truth. Lord, prosper their efforts, prosper their passion, prosper their abilities to share the gospel in Jesus' name. We'll be careful to give you the praise. Grace Church, let's give God an amazing praise right now for what he's going to do in our students. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Uh, Sister Allison's going to help me. Students, if you'll come quickly and get a prayer cloth. As I said, if you need another one for somebody that's home or couldn't be here today, that's okay too. Grab a couple. We've got plenty. Uh, But uh, please make your way. Now's the time. Parents, if you want to grab one for a student that's not here. um, uh, uh, Teachers, if you want one for your classroom, uh, feel free. Please come forward at this time. God bless our students. Look at this great group of kids, great group of students. Amen. Amen. Our church has been blessed with young people, and they're passionate about the work of God. They're passionate about the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, as they, as they finish this, we're going to transition into worship here in just a moment. But I, I just ask where you stand as they're getting their prayer clause. Would you just whisper the name of Jesus over them one more time? Just right where you stand. If you feel led, extend your hand down this way. And let's just whisper the name of Jesus over them one more time. God bless you today.
isn't it amazing to feel the power of the Holy Ghost here today? Thank the Lord. I, I just felt a few moments ago that somebody just received a miracle from the Lord. I, I believe God just healed somebody. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. It happened last Sunday. It happened last Sunday. Why can't it happen today? Thank the Lord. That the hand of God could be made manifest in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. Thank the Lord. I believe in Him today. I said, I believe in Him today. Clap your hands one more time to Jesus, shall we? Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Look at your neighbor. Tell him I'm glad to see you. Thank the Lord. And you may be seated just for a moment before we go to the Word of God. I know you've been standing for a long time. Thank you. And um, what we're about to do right now is probably one of my most uh, greatest times that I anticipate and look forward to here at Grace Church. And that's when somebody has received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And uh, last Sunday, uh, our little sweet Caleb Hart received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Is he here? Come on up here, buddy. Come on up here, man. We have a certificate. If you'll remember, he was baptized several weeks ago in the beautiful name of Jesus. And actually, his daddy prayed him through the Holy Ghost last Sunday. And I'm excited about that. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. You need to hurry, but don't run. Hurry, but don't run. Hurry. Hurry. Don't run. Hurry. Nothing changed. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> this is one nifty little fella right here, buddy. He is... Is uh, quite a dude here. I think he's going to be a heartbreaker one of these days for a whole bunch of the little girls. So that's why we want him to stay full of the Holy Ghost. He didn't see that coming. Finally got some response going on here. Now we know how to wake him up, right? Just mention a girl, right? There you go. We want to give you this certificate, Caleb, and uh, say that God filled you with the Holy Ghost last Sunday here at Grace Church on Sunday, July the 30th. And so you keep that and give it to your parents, and you'll never forget that great occasion. God bless you, man. Love you, buddy. Let's give him some appreciation. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Great to see all of you here today. Uh, as always, thank you so very much for being here. And uh, I'm excited today. I'm so excited about the Word of God, and I'm anxious to bring to you today what I believe that God has given to me to bring to you and uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time but uh, Wednesday night about a month or so ago I believe it was uh, Brother Dave came up and uh, talked somewhat about the Queen of Sheba and when he did a light came on in my head and I have not been able to flush this out of my mind since then and uh, so I want to bring it to you today. If you don't mind, if you'll stand with me one more time. I know you've been standing for a long time, but I'd like to do this in honor to the Word of God. I want to call your attention to 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, it was his relationship with God that got her attention. She came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels, 
that bear spices. Everybody say spices. And very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Notice this. And Solomon told her all her questions. I don't believe she asked her questions yet. He told her what her questions were. And there was not anything that was hid from the king which he told her not. That's pretty impressive. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, the meat at his table, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, may go there one day, and his cupbearers, notice, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. She heard about all of this until there was no more spirit in her. There's no more attitude. She's wide open. She's open-hearted. And she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of the acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel, because the love the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he king to do judgment and justice. Notice verse 10. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices. Everybody say spices. And of spices very, a very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as those which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Verse 13, And the king Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked. Beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. Notice verse 13. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. She turned and went. I want to preach to you today. We've been talking a lot this year about I'm coming, we're coming, he's coming. Today I want to preach to you what I want to call the ultimate I'm coming message. The ultimate I'm coming message. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. I want to make this message today about the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon. But before I get into that, I want to give to all of us some reminders 
of who King Solomon is. I believe that there are many parallels in the story of King Solomon and Jesus. I believe there's a lot of parallels between King Solomon and Jesus. And I also believe there's some parallels between the story of the Queen of Sheba and Jesus. But first, King Solomon was the wisest and richest man that ever lived, and I believe that is a type of Christ. Second, King Solomon had 700 wives from all over that known part of the world. I'll remind you that the bride of Christ is from the four corners of the earth of every tribe, nation, and race. Again, a type of Christ and the Gentile church. The Queen of Sheba, a Gentile from a very far away country, a type of the church, particularly the Gentile church. I could go on, but I hope that will suffice for now in the parallels of these two people and Jesus. Most of us are familiar with King Solomon. Again, the wisest man that ever lived and the richest man that ever lived. The time of his reign was probably the greatest time of peace for the nation of Israel and probably for that known part of the world that's ever been known. It spanned a time of 40 years. King David, his father, when Solomon was born, wanted to name him Jedidiah, but God told him to name him Solomon. He was born in 990 B.C. in Jerusalem. He died at 59 years of age. Again, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Most of his wives were said to be princesses of foreigners. One was who was Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt, with others being from Ammon, Moab, Edom, the Hittites, Sidon, and so on. Out of these 700 women that he was married to, only one of them is mentioned in the Bible by name. She is known as Nama, who was an Ammonite, who was the mother of Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who would be his successor as king in Israel. I, I thought about something very interesting. That of all of these women that he married, I don't find any biblical record where any of them ever left him. None of these were Jewish women that grew up in their culture and was, a, was okay with the culture and the way of worship and all of that. His wives were foreigners. They were from other cultures, other countries. Most of them's daddy or family was a monarch or somebody very high-ranking in government. These women apparently were contented to stay with Solomon. The Bible describes in the Song of Solomon that he had very deep affection and love for his wives, again, a type of Christ in the church. The Bible said in one place that he claved to his wives. I'll remind you that the bride of Christ is from every part of the earth and Jesus loves us more than we could ever know or imagine. 
I do find it interesting that married to these many women, that he only had about four children is all I can find. And as of 2023, this year, the U.S., according to U.S. monetary standards, Solomon was worth about 2.1 trillion U.S. dollars. It is believed that him and his kingdom brought in about 1. million in gold and taxes every year. King Solomon built the first temple located in Jerusalem. He built it during the fourth year of his reign in which he used his wealth, which was very great, along with that of his father David that David had accumulated to go toward the building of the house of God. After this, he dedicated this amazing house of God. We call it the Temple of Solomon. He dedicated it to Yahweh, the God of Israel. We all know about Solomon's temple. I'll not go into that. King Solomon is to believe the, to be the wealthiest person to have ever lived globally throughout his 40-year reign. During his reign, he gained much wealth as well as splendor. The Bible said that he had six, 666 talents of gold, which are equivalent to about 20 tons of gold. I've read after some commentaries, I'll mention this in passing, that there's, ever, there's never been any gold mines discovered in that part of the world. And it's a mystery as to where he got all of his gold. Though King Solomon is one of the noted legends who had great power, wisdom, and wealth in his reign as the king of Israel, he ultimately turned away from God through the marrying of all of these foreign women. This is one of the causes of the division of the monarchy which occurred during the reign of his son Rehoboam. So during his reign, we are introduced to an unnamed queen from the land of Sheba who travels to Jerusalem to meet this King Solomon. I'll submit to you today that when people hear, and they'll hear it from us more than anywhere else, about the awesomeness of God, I believe people are willing to travel any, any distance to meet him. I cannot imagine, and you'll understand this better in a moment, but I cannot imagine the logistics of her doing what she was about to do. During the reign of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba hearing about all of his fame, all of his wisdom, all of his wealth, she determined, I have to see and meet this man. Again, I can't imagine the logistics, but the Queen of Sheba brings a large quantity of gold and precious stones, and she brought more spices with her than that has ever been brought into Jerusalem. As far as the study that I've done before then and since then. There's a lot of reason for that, and I wish I had time to go into all of it. That's why I ask you to repeat the word spices a few times a few moments ago. I will say there's a tremendous message in that 
And the spices that she brought are a type of praise. They're a type of prayer. They're a type of anointing. They're a type of purification. That's why it is so important to note that she brought this in more quantity than anyone has ever brought to Jerusalem before and since. Now, I do not know if the Queen of Sheba was a beautiful woman or just maybe what you would think of as just kind of a plain woman, but it's very clear that she was a very intelligent woman. No other woman at that time and hardly since then was so involved with the issues of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding as is the Queen of Sheba. The only other woman in the Bible who is portrayed as having such an eager mind to learn would be Mary of Bethany, who sat at the feet of Jesus, soaking in wisdom from Jesus that was even far greater than that of Solomon. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the day of Jesus, you could count on it. She would have been there at his feet along with Mary as well. Jesus said as much when he selected this queen as a powerful example of a wise light seeker. Someone who just wanted to understand. Somebody who just wanted to get the picture. And Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, The queen of Sheba shall rise up in the judgment with this generation. The generation of people that birthed the Messiah. The queen of Sheba will stand in judgment against you and will condemn you. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When Jesus is that impressed with someone, they deserve our careful attention. We need to pay attention to this, folks. For such a life as this woman has made on time and eternity, that Jesus would bring her up, that Jesus would talk about her, she, through her actions and through her attitude, preached through Jesus to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious element of that day that birthed the Messiah. He preached to them the ultimate I'm coming message. He came the ultimate Jesus coming message. You do not know who I am. You do not understand who I am. This woman traveled for miles to meet Solomon. And there's somebody greater than Solomon that's standing in front of you. And I can't get you to walk across town to listen to what I have to say. What an indictment. What an indictment. So for the next few moments tonight, today, and I'm going to hurry as fast as I can, I want us to look at several attributes the Queen of Sheba manifested 
and her coming to visit with Solomon. First of all, I want to talk to you about her position. She was a queen. She was, as far as we know, she was not the wife of a king, which would just make her symbolic of something. She was a queen. She was a monarch. She was actually the ruler of her people. In this sense, a queen is simply a female king, if you will. And the queen of Sheba is one of the most honored women in the Bible. For nothing negative is revealed about her. All is positive. Even Jesus holds her up as a great example. Whatever her motive was, there is no doubt that she brought with her a very elaborate and extravagant, a whole smorgasbord, if you will, of gifts as an exhibition of her own power and her own glory. She wanted Solomon to understand, you're not talking to a novice. I'm not just a peep squeak from somewhere off in a foreign country somewhere. But I am a woman of class. I'm a woman of dignity. I'm a woman of power. I'm a woman of great wealth. But you exceed me. All these people that believe I don't really need God. You're the biggest fool that walked on this planet. I don't want to be ugly, but I have a Bible that says that, actually. Solomon was greatly impressed with her. He gave her a royal tour of his kingdom, and he shared with her all of his wisdom. And she graciously accepted, was accepted and hosted in his kingdom. So not only did she have great position, but she had great persistence. Jesus said that she came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon. Scholars tell us that Sheba was about the size of the state of Texas and far off Arabia, which at the time may also have been included as a part of Ethiopia. The journey, the journey, everybody say the journey. The journey was between 1,000 and 1,500 miles. It would be like traveling from here to New York City on a camel. How far will you drive to see Jesus in a nice air-conditioned car? This woman... Travel the equivalent from here to New York City on a camel. And I don't understand the logistics. I don't know how she did it. It's amazing. She didn't come alone, and she brought Solomon a lot of stuff, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. What she did when you read it in Scripture may not sound like a big deal, but why don't you try it? Go get you a camel and ride for about a 1,000 miles on the back of it. And you will know why this woman should be known as the queen of persistence. It was a daily grind. It's estimated it took her some two months of travel across challenging terrain, including hot desert sand. When the queen departed Sheba, Scripture says she came to Jerusalem with a very great number of attendants. 
How many does very great indicate? No commentary that I consulted would even venture into speculation. I cannot imagine the logistics it took to put all this trip together for her. There is one Bible scholar named Leon Wood that equates a talent of gold. The queen of Sheba brought Solomon 120 talents of gold. He estimates that they would weigh just over 66 pounds each. One talent of gold would weigh about 66 pounds each. A rough calculation leads to she brought Solomon almost 8,000 pounds of pure gold on the backs of camels. It's said that the average Arabian camel can carry from three to 900 pounds. This means that the queen could have had anywhere from nine to 26 camels just to carry the gold. Not counting precious metals, not counting spices, not counting security, not counting the attendants that she brought with her. There's no way to determine the weight of the jewels, the precious, spy, uh, the, the precious metals that she brought, or the spices as to calculate how many additional camels were needed. Neither is there any way to assess how many attendants would have accompanied her. Whether she was escorted by armed guards or units of her army, or how many of these pack animals were needed to carry necessities such as food, clothing, shelter. Suffice it to say, she came, the Bible said, with a very great retinue, a very great entourage of camels and animals just to see Solomon. It was an enormous undertaking to prepare the large caravan, and no one could know the obstacles she had to overcome to reach her goal. But she did it. She never turned back. Even though she had everything that life could offer her in Sheba, she left it all behind, brought a lot of her wealth with her to visit this one man. She never turned back. She had wealth. She had power. She had prestige. Yet she pressed on. Truly the wise are those who know there's always more. The wise know there's always more. Jesus says that she will condemn the generation that Jesus was born into. For she was willing to pay the price to find that something more. But the generation of Jesus were not. The queen of Sheba was truly persistent. The persistent is the one who says... I must press on, for the best is always yet to be. That was Paul's attitude. And that is the attitude of all who, like Paul, keep pressing on. Those that are persistent know there's always a goal ahead worth seeking, worth working for. Jesus said, seek, and you shall find, confirming the wisdom of those who are persistent. The queen of Sheba could have sat in her kingdom and waited for the truth to come to her, but she was too wise and she was too hungry for the truth not to be a seeker. She was too wise not to be a seeker. Okay, that's sitting in the back wall and just falling down to the floor. 
Centuries before the wise men, the wise men journeyed far to see the Christ child. This queen journeyed far to the promised land to know the God who sent, who would send the Christ child. Persistence in the search for God and the greatest of wisdom, and she had it. The third thing I'll mention about her is her persuasion. She found even more than what she was seeking. That always happens with Jesus. It always happens with Jesus. It wouldn't hurt for somebody to say amen and give your hands one at least one clap. There's always more. When you seek Jesus, you'll never exhaust him. You'll never find all that there is. If she walked away from Solomon saying the half has not been told, how should we feel when we walk out of a church service or a Bible study and say, my God, if there's that much that I do know, how much is there that I don't know? We should pursue him. We should be persuaded by him. We should be persistent and convinced that we will never exhaust our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage makes it clear that she came to learn about the God of Israel. Not just about nature and wealth. She had that. She wanted to learn more about Solomon's God. And the Bible is very clear on that. We see that she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. The same was said. Uh, the same. Uh, some say that she came asking questions about God. But again, if you read verse 5, verse 3, excuse me carefully. Solomon told her what her questions were. Does it remind you of a verse in the New Testament that says that God knows what you have need of even before you ask Him? Why don't we want to be in His presence more? Why don't we want Him more? Solomon told her what her questions were and then answered them, a true type of Christ. We can only conclude that she responded to this light with faith in God, or otherwise Jesus would have not used her as a great example. What good is seeking? What good is seeking if the one does not accept what they find? We need to hear that. There's people here today that need to understand that. Seeking for truth. Seeking for truth. Sister Sheila Goins gave us a, a humorous moment today in our Sunday school class. She's been bringing with her her small, it's a mini search for truth chart, and she said she lost her search for truth chart. Marty said, so are you in search for your search for truth? It was a comical moment. Uh, it's important, folks, when you seek Jesus, that you accept what you find. Bible scholars estimate the value of her gifts to Solomon to be worth nearly $4 million. That's no small change. The wealth of this queen and that of Solomon was so great that their exchange of gifts opened a whole new world of commerce. History says that the century, the next hundred years following, caused their visit to experience a great commercial expansion. We're talking major corporations coming together here, if you will. This is no mere social call and a friendly gift exchange. It is meeting 
the meeting of two world powers that can change the course of history. The Queen of Sheba was a master of diplomacy and one of the most successful in history in international relations. She possessed a marvelous mind of her own. She had to be very intelligent and she came loaded with questions which indicated that she was a student of life and of a philosopher. She also had to have considerable wisdom to be able to evaluate the answers that she received. One suspects that Solomon seldom met with a female so able to converse on all subjects like this noble lady was. We do not know if she had inherent wisdom or if she was trained in order to possess such knowledge. But Jesus says the mind of this queen will set a standard for the final judgment of mankind. Jesus picks out this woman and holds her up as an example of one who responded in faith to the light that God gave her. Her example will condemn the leaders of Israel who had the light of Christ in their midst and refused to believe it. Jesus is saying that the lives of worthy people and their response to God's light, a revelation, become part of the standard by which the world is to be judged. This pagan woman's persistence her persistent search for truth will put to shame those who have the truth at their fingertips but will not lift a finger to grasp it. This woman wanted life's best and never ceased to search until she found the living God of Israel. She illustrates the very essence of wisdom that says the search is never over until we discover that the best until we discover the best that God has given to man. And that best for us is the New Testament age in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are truly wise will follow this queen until they come to know the King of Kings. Now, with that introduction, I want to preach to you for a few minutes. Here's my message. After all of that, after all that, Brother Donnie, after all of that. Brother James, after all that, she leaves. After all the knowledge, after all the revelation, after giving and receiving priceless treasure, after all that, she leaves. This is what happened to me that Wednesday night about a month ago. I sat over there in that chair listening to Brother Dave describe this woman and her wealth and what she brought to Solomon. She came to see Solomon and it occurred to me, she left. Why? If everything she found, if everything she learned, if everything she had discovered was so great and so satisfying and so fulfilling, why did she leave? Makes no sense to me. She knew what she was going back home to. She knew what leaving this kingdom would mean. She knew what leaving this king would mean. And what's even more astounding to me is when she brought this mighty entourage of gold and precious stones and all these spices, 
She didn't give any of Solomon one ounce of that until she was leaving. Before she leaves, watch this. She's on her way out the door. By the way, Solomon, she said, your wisdom and prosperity far surpass the report that I have heard. And then after she said that, she gives. The queen gives King Solomon 120 talents of gold, precious stones, and the largest quantity of spices ever brought to Jerusalem. If Solomon was everything that she said of him, and even more, if he was as wealthy as she said about him, if his servants were as happy as was said of them, if the way he went to church on Sunday was said about him, then why did she leave? It's interesting to me that she gave him all this wealth when she was leaving. Why didn't she give him all this when she arrived? The Bible is very clear. She didn't believe any of it. She didn't believe anything she heard until she had experienced it. I know I've been into this for a month and I've been studying it virtually every day for a month. And I've got all the background and all the context and all this kind of stuff. I'm, 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 I'm doing the best I can to give it to you today. I want you to understand this message today. She didn't give him all this great wealth based on what she had heard. She gave him all this great wealth based on what she had experienced. Why do you make such an extravagant and costly investment and then leave. Why do you bring, go through all this sacrifice and all this trouble to put together this entourage of camels and food and clothing and where to sleep at night and all this wealth? Why do you do that only to turn around and leave? Based on her testimony upon leaving, based on what she said, was there anything worth going back to after all that? She had never experienced such joy and happiness and peace. Does that sound like receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost to anybody here today? She experienced all of that. And then once she was there, when she was present in person, she gave out of the abundance of what she had. I thought about this week. I, I don't want to take this too far, but if Solomon was as wise as he was, wouldn't it have been somewhat possible for them to make some kind of an agreement that Queen of Sheba, whatever her name was, just move your, your throne here and your kingdom will be even more blessed under the auspices of mine. Does it remind you of verse in the New Testament? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness 
and all of these things will be added unto you. Was that not applicable to the queen of Sheba? Why did she leave? I'm sure with her wisdom and Solomon's, they could have worked all that out. Everything she was, everything she had, could have been brought under the auspices of Solomon's wealthy, extravagant, wise, peaceful kingdom. But she elected to leave. So, with my landing gear out, I want you to notice this. Upon her leaving, Solomon gave her gifts and he gave her upon leaving every desire that she expressed. He gave her everything she could have ever dreamed of and hoped for, even exceeding what she already had. And she still left. Does anybody have any idea where I'm going with this yet? Did Solomon give her all these gifts and give her, fulfill every desire that she had? Was he doing this to try to get her to stay? The Bible doesn't say, but history does. History says in the history of Israel and their written history outside the Bible that Solomon did everything in his power to get her to stay. There are some that even believe that she had a child by Solomon. Can't prove it in the Bible, but that they had a, a son together. And the queen of Sheba left and took that son with her. And when the son became age, Solomon sent an entourage of people to try to get that son to come back and live in his kingdom to possibly be an heir to the throne. And he wouldn't come back. This is the greatest I'm coming message from God that's ever been preached, in my opinion. And this is the greatest I'm coming message from an individual ever in history. They're both coming and they both meet in a mutual place of peace where all desires are fulfilled, all the wealth you can imagine, all the wisdom you can imagine. It's all fulfilled in that spot. It's a precedent in the Bible is to God's ability to satisfy the hearts of men and women. Why did she leave? I'm trying to hurry. We know that when she leaves, she gives Solomon 120 talents of gold. That'd be about 8,000 pounds, about four tons of gold. Notice the precious stones and then the largest quantity of spices ever brought to Jerusalem. Again, spices in the Bible are type of prayer, praise, worship, anointing, and sacrifice. She brought with her all the potential, all the promise to have a great relationship with this king. She brought it with her and left it. She brought the potential of prayer and praise and anointing and purity. She brought all of that with her and left it. What all, everything she needed to establish a relationship with the king of the greatest kingdom on the planet. She walked away 
and left it there. So if Solomon and his kingdom, his, his kindness, his wealth, and happiness, servants was so great, all of her questions had been answered, all of her desires had been, she had been introduced, not to just Solomon, but by Why didn't she leave? Notice, you remember the wise men in the stories? They saw a star in Bethlehem, which is where he was born. History is very clear. It took them at least two years to find it. Travel from Persia, which is around Iraq. They made a long journey. They brought gold and frankincense, spice, and myrrh, spice. They brought it. Everything they needed to establish a relationship with the king of kings. They came and worshiped at his house and then turned around and left. To go back home to what? To stand with me this morning. I'll ask you this question. Paul wrote to Timothy. I believe he had tears streaming down his face these words. By the way, Timothy, Demas has forsaken him. Why did Demas leave? Because he loved the world. A rich young ruler comes to this one to hear what I'm about to say. Good master, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments, do them. But on top of that, go home and sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come back. He walked away grieved. He left, standing in the presence of a God that could save him in this life and save him in eternity. I believe with all my heart you'll persuade me otherwise. Had that rich young ruler looked at Jesus and said, Absolutely, I'm going home right now. I'm going to instruct my staff. I'm going to instruct all my, my servants, everybody. I'm going to tell them to give away every God. Give me a week and I'll be back. Jesus would have said, don't worry about it. I wasn't asking you to really go home and sell everything you have. I just wanted to know if you'd be willing to do it. The prodigal came in one day. <laughs> Father, give me what's coming to me. And did. Solomon gave to this woman everything and a lot of things to take home with him. The prodigal did that. Why? He later confessed from a hog pen that there are servants in my father's house that have bread enough and to spare and I'm sitting here starving to death. I'm going back. I'm going back to my father's house. There's people that you and I know today. There's people here today that at one time in their life they gave their heart to God with everything. And I traveled from the four corners of drugs, boredom, alcohol, all the that sin does. Traveled from all that. They came out of all of that. Gave heart wholeheartedly to God. Was baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus and served God and was happy. Notice how happy everybody was, how great everything was, and God answers prayer, and God can heal, and God can save, and God perform miracles. But at some point, they leave. You understand?
here's where I'm at today. Here's where I'm at today. Just fed the 5,000. You know the story. Everybody got full, got money to eat. And uh, that crowd tracked him down the next day, the Bible said. And wanted to be fed again. And Jesus began to minister to them the word of God. And that's not what they had in mind. So they all left. They all walked away. 5,000 plus people got up and left. Walked out on him. And he looked at the disciples. And I want to look at our young people right here. I'm going to ask you the same question he asked them. Will you also leave? Are you going to walk away one day? I remember, Braylon, how you used to run the aisles. Now we can't get him back in a church. I remember how Isley runs around run around the church taking pictures of everybody and doing this need on social media and all that. But now he don't lot anymore now. Eli used to play the keyboard and Dawson used to play the guitar and, and we could go run to everybody. How you used to do this and used to do that. Something happened. I've seen it, Brother Henry, all of my life. The people that I loved. They get up for whatever reason and leave. You can't get them back. I talked to you about it Wednesday night, a little bit about soul winning and what have you. I told you that I have a heart for backsliders, and I guess it started when I was a teenager. I have pleaded with my peers back in my youth group. I sat up at one night till about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning begging good friend of mine, please don't leave, please don't quit. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. I've decided money. Never has been back to church since. To my knowledge, he's still living, lived somewhere in Ascension Parish, is the last I've heard. But he won't come back. And one time, he used to dance circles and speak in tongues. He went to youth camp and ran the aisles. He did all of that that you And there was a time in his life when if you had asked him, one day you'll be gone. He'd have never believed you. So I'm appealing to Grace Church with everything we've got. After all that you've been through out there, all the sin, all the heartache, all the heartbreak, and you came back, you came to God and experienced all the joy and hope and peace and all this stuff, will you leave? Or will you stay? So by a physical audible response today I'm asking you to preach the ultimate oncoming message and walk down here and tell God one more time I'm not leaving God I came to stay when I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 12 years old it did something to me that I've never forgotten to this day
about to start school this coming week. Bear down right now. The devil is not going to have me. I'm not for sale. I'm not a commodity that he can bargain with. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying close to Thank you. 